Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. I'm Sean Callahan, And I'm Mark Shank. So Mark, what story have you got for us this week? Well, I've got a story that pretty much everybody already knows this week. So we can relax then. We, we can, can Everyone back. can relax. You already know this story. It takes place in 1775, uh, 17th of April, Saturday afternoon. Kind of sounds like a Monty Python. Uh, I think that's how they started the movie Life of Brian, except it was AD 47 or something. And <laughs> anyway, 1775, and there's a stable boy mucking out stables in Boston, and he overhears two British officers say there's going to be hell to pay tomorrow. Now, the stable boy had no idea what that meant, but he did know that there were people who would be interested in that conversation. So he went to the house of a silversmith called Paul Revere, told Paul Revere and the other uh, people that were there, and there was people coming and going, what he'd overheard. And for Paul Revere and his colleagues, this was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. Right. Because they'd heard rumours about the British having intentions to uh, march on Lexington and arrest the colonial leaders, uh, Samuel Adams and John Hancock, uh, maybe proceed to Concord and take over the stores of munitions that were there. So the stable boy's news galvanised them into action. Right. And so his famous ride started at 10 o'clock that night, and he rode off to the west to rouse the countryside around Boston, letting them know that the British were coming and make preparations to raise the militia and to meet the British in battle. And of course, we all know what happened. Did, he, the, say, did he say, the British are coming, the British, the British are coming? <laughs> Riding down the streets. <laughs> and the next day, 19th of April, the British did march and they were met in battle outside uh, Concord and they were defeated. To their amazement, they were defeated by an organised and fierce militia resistance. Right. Which had all happened because of uh, Paul Revere's famous ride. And so one of the things that I love about that example is that Paul Revere was really well connected and being well connected enabled him and his colleagues to figure out that the British were coming. Yep. He's able to take action. Now, there's a bit of the story that a lot of people might not know, and that is that at 10 o'clock the previous night, at the same time that Revere set off to the west, another guy, another revolutionary, equally passionate, rode off to the east. Now, he went to towns, he rode the same number of miles, he knocked on the same number of doors, he spoke to about as many people as Revere, and yet nothing happened to the east. Oh. So why? Why did Revere ride off and have such amazing impact and... William Dawes, who's consigned into history. Into oblivion. Into oblivion. (laughs) Sorry, yes. Uh, Have no effect. And the answer is that Revere was very well connected. He knew what doors to knock on. So he knocked on the doors of the local colonial leaders. They immediately knew who he was. They trusted what he said and they acted on his words almost immediately. Yeah, right. And to the extent that by 3 a.m. that night, the news had spread over 45 miles, which is a lot in the 700s. Yeah. Now, we think we nothing of that now, but bam, in the, in the days of, uh, of horse and foot, that was a lot. William Dawes, on the other hand, didn't know people. People didn't know him. He didn't know what doors to knock on. And when he did knock on the right doors after being directed there, people were going, who are you? And why should we believe you? To the extent that people thought after the event, when they looked back, that that area that Dawes visited must have been very strongly pro-British. But it wasn't the case at all. It was simply that Dawes wasn't well-connected and people didn't believe him. 
So it's a really important part of the Paul Revere story that reinforces just how important it is to have really strong connections. Uh, they enable you to find out what's going on. They enable you to take action when time when you need help from other people. So invest in your relationships. Yeah, absolutely, and invest in them before you need them. Right? You know, it's the, you can't have you can't create those relationships on the day of the ride. Well, yeah, as Paul William Dawes found out. Yeah, yeah, fantastic, excellent. So let's let's talk about what we liked in that story, what bits that make that story work, right? Uh, I mean, for me, the first thing that jumps out is it's a historical story that we know happened and a lot of people know, right? So it's kind of got that familiarity about it that, you know, even phrases like the British are coming, you know, these are well-known sort of phrases that immediately mean something to us. So I think that really helps a story like that. The other thing too, which I think is is great about that story is just the details, you know, of you know talking about lexicon and uh, Concord and the munitions and you know all those layers of detail that you provide in that story just make it more credible. It's it's a bit like when people say to me, oh, you know, look, there's the story on one side, but then there's the data, as if they're separate things. But, you know, as we know, a good story has both those things, you know, and delivered with some emotion. Yeah, facts wrapped in context, delivered with emotion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Uh, so a a lot of that fact was uh, taken from Malcolm Gladwell's book, Tipping Point, and from a whole bunch of other sources. Right. I've cobbled that uh, that version together. But, yeah, when I'm telling that story uh, in a keynote, that sort of situation, I totally use all those details because they definitely add credibility. Indeed. But here's the other really interesting thing about that, right? And that is you could tell the non-detailed version and while it may not have the same punch, it would get across the idea in a similar way. So if you're like just having a a chat with uh, some colleagues in a meeting and you sort of say, you know what, it's so important we really connect. It's a bit like Paul Revere. You know what happened there. You, You did the ride and he was able to inspire all this action. But at the same time, this poor fellow, William Dawes, goes and does the ride around Boston, knocks on the doors, and no one's interested because he wasn't connected, right? You know, you tell that tiny 30-second version of the story and people get the idea, don't they? Absolutely. So that short version is very easily tellable. It's very easily accessible. Yes. And so I think this is a useful point for our listeners is to understand that the circumstances in which you're using the story will often govern the way you tell it. Yeah. And, of course, the point uh, as well. So if you're giving a keynote presentation to hundreds of people, then you can really amp up the details. Yes. You would have images to support it, etc. And so that's one application. A completely different application is in a meeting where you want to encourage people to work together more effectively. And, in fact, if you're in that meeting and you leant in and said in 1775... you know, at ten, you know, it, they would roll their eyes and just look at like look at you like you you were crazy, yep. right? And not only that, they would be suspicious of you, right? Because that's not how we speak to one another when we're in a meeting. We speak in a more informal, colloquial way, and and and, and not with all the details, right? So I think that you have to be quite careful that you don't try to use a big story for a small space. Absolutely. And this should be a source of relief for our listeners Yeah, in that you don't need to remember all these details to use that story effectively. Yeah. You can tell a very, very short version that gets the, the gist, the essence of the story across very quickly and very effectively. 
Now, I think one of the other elements of this story which I love is the contrast. Totally. Right? We know we love contrast in, in our stories. So, you know, he's starting off with the Paul Revere story. We're very familiar with that. And then you finish that and then you tell another story. So it's essentially two little stories that make up the whole and it's a nice contrast. And it's the contrast that helps make the point. Yes, indeed. Yep. Exactly. So... You know, those, those some really nice features. I mean, Malcolm Gladwell's a master storyteller, so you know it's it's not uh, you know surprising that you know he can pull out some of those interesting connections that you don't normally see. And it's probably something of a relief for people to know that that you just don't need to have all the details because remembering all that details is just an embuggerance sometimes. So being able to tell that story very quickly without needing to know all the details. Is a great one for your kit bag, right? You know, you totally. put that in the back pocket and you can tell it, you know, anywhere. Uh, what do you think might be something you can do to make that story even better? Is there anything that you might change or emphasise? I think for me, I would like to know. I mean, even though we all have an image of Paul Revere, I always think that's another layer. For those people who knew nothing about Paul Revere, you know, you can sort of say, you know, as a a short little 50-year-old guy with grey hair. I don't know what he looks like, right? <laughs> I'm just making it up. But no, um, some sense of his character. Yeah, well, he's, what he looks like, you know, his characterization. that sort of, uh, yeah, exactly, sort of, so that people can picture him a little bit, you know, this, you know, the whole imagery side of things of storytelling. Uh, but apart from that, I can't think of anything else that you pr- probably want to add. Anything? And you don't, want to, you don't want to overdo it. No, you could easily layer too much into it, couldn't you? Yeah. So that borrowed heavily on Gladwell's telling. So it's pretty well told. Yes. Yeah, that's so right. it's been crafted. I don't think that there's a whole bunch you need to do to make that story any better. Yeah. Uh, practice it a couple of times, obviously. Be cognizant of the situation you're using the story. So if it's a meeting, just go with the short version. Yes. Just going back to some of the things about, or to one of the things about that story that help, helps make it work, is that the element of surprise. And I deliberately tried to amp up the surprise of that there is a version of this story that you already know. Yes. And then there's the bit that you don't know. Don't know, know yeah. yeah. And so that bit of surprise was one of the, the elements I tried to weave into that telling. Yeah, good. Okay, what about business points? Where, uh, where might we tell this? What's the situation? Well, Paul Revere and his revolutionary colleagues were sitting there. Their world was about to be disrupted by the British and being well-connected helped them deal with it. That's right. They were able to adapt, weren't they? They could inspire action. Absolutely. So many organizations are facing challenges from outside, using that story to encourage people to get more connected within the organization and externally to find solutions to problems. I think it's a great application. Just so simple. Yeah. And just asking, telling that story very quickly and saying, so folks, look at your division or your team or whatever. Is your team more like Paul Revere or more like William Dawes? Yeah, I do like that sort of approach, you know, sort of attaching the character to almost like the character of a team or, or an organisation. I think that works really well. Fantastic. I, mean, I think that, to me, that's the main reason for telling that story. I would also think that there's many organisations that are looking at approaches around networks and communities of practice and that story is very effective in illustrating why those groups are so important to an organisation. Yeah, right, absolutely. Working alongside the formal structure um, or you know, working alongside it. Um, it, kind of, it kind of is a sister story to our 9-11 story we told right at the beginning of this podcast Indeed. series, right? The importance of being, able, being connected to be able to adapt to the unexpected, yep. right? Which is exactly this sort of situation. Yep. 
and I guess one of the things that about that story that I like is that it's I read it in a book. I read it in a book that many people have read. And just taking note of these stories as you read them is a really great way of building your repertoire. Yes, exactly. Okay, let's go for um, a bit of a rating on this story, okay? Um, For me, I like this story. I haven't told it many times. I could probably think since I've known it, which is probably when the Malcolm Gladwell book came out. So some time now, I wouldn't have told it more than three or four times. Um, So in terms of my usability, I I don't use it that often, but I think it's a good story. Um, So let me, I'm just thinking off the top of my head here. I'm thinking I'll give it a seven. Now, to me, it's a solid, useful story. The thing I worry about this story is that have too many people heard it, right? Is it surprising enough to an audience? And because I know it so well, I kind of assume it's the curse of knowledge. I kind of assume everyone else knows it. because that's not true, right? So, but that's, that's the thing that goes through my mind. You know, would I feel comfortable telling it so that people go, oh, I've never heard that story? Likewise, I will give it a seven yeah. and would also add support you in that cautionary note about how frequently that story might be used, whether it's become hackneyed or not. I don't think it has, but we need to be aware of this. And if a story is overused, its impact is greatly reduced. So just there is a risk with that story that it might become, that it might be or become overused. Yeah. Other than that, I think it's very useful. Yeah. Very tell, solid. Tell one it to a lot of story. young people who uh, <laughs> don't, have never heard of Paul Revere before. Well, guys, I think that's where we're going to wrap it up. So thanks again for listening to Anecdotally Speaking and tune in next week where we share another episode of How to Put Stories to Work. Mm-hmm.